appreciate you uh, being on the show here, Lane. Um, we, uh, I heard you speak at the Oklahoma Manufacturing Alliance about a couple of months ago, I think it was, and uh, really enjoyed your presentation and wanted to have you on the show just from an IT perspective and talking specifically about manufacturing companies and what that looks like um, in their environment mm -hmm. and how they can best prepare themselves. Um, so the first question I'd really like to, I'm just going to go ahead and dive into it. Sure. Um, you know, what security threats are different in manufacturing environments as opposed to other business environments? I mean, from, from like an insurance perspective, um, Obviously, insurance is different for different industries, and they have different risk exposures. And I would assume it, a lot of that correlates or is the same in an IT environment or information environment. So I don't know if you could elaborate on that, what type of unique risk exposures or information exposures that manufacturing companies have. Sure. Uh, so when we talk about risk uh, to any business uh, and their information, um, there are a couple of types of risk uh, that we that we can talk about. Uh, one of the types of risk is physical risk. And uh, if you look at a manufacturing environment as opposed to, say, a law office or a doctor's office, right. the physical risks are quite different. Uh, and that uh, branches out from the fact that uh, they tend to have much higher voltage power running through uh, a lot more places in their facility than any conventional office environment. Uh, they also tend to have high-pressure fluids, and uh, those fluids might be hydraulic fluids. They might be uh, pressurized fluids that are used for cutting in the manufacturing environment. And the combination of the high voltage and the high-pressure fluids uh, can... Uh, result in damage either because uh, if high-pressure fluids are released, uh, they will generally be released as a mist, and that can uh, damage IT equipment. Uh, it can also result in a fire, especially if it's pressurized hydraulic fluids exposed to high voltage. Then you can have a smoky fire very quickly. So you can go from a normal mode of operations to uh, a very smoky environment that is destroying data that's stored on magnetized uh, hard drives, magnetic media, uh, very quickly, within minutes. Um, so those uh, recovery from those kinds of risks are, um, they vary in terms of their, their difficulty. Uh, how long is it going to take to recover the information uh, that ends up really being a significant potential interruption to cash flow mm -hmm. for those manufacturers. Interesting. Yeah, it's not my initial thought process to go through and think of when I'm thinking of IT or information security um, or just IT environments in general to think of the physical risk side of things. Oftentimes I'm thinking of, you know, it's it's the data or, you know, in the cloud or cyber, right? Sure. Uh, but. I can see how the physical risk would play a big part of that, especially in, in manufacturing companies in particular. They can. I mean, when you when you look at uh, the insurance risk to manufacturing businesses and the claims, right? Uh, actually, a lot of the claims, a majority of them, come from physical damage, either due to uh, can be flooding. A lot of times, it's electrical, uh, and you tend to have that high voltage power exposed to 
uh, a lot more openly exposed in a manufacturing environment than you do in a typical office environment. So the, the potential for damage is, is definitely greater uh, from a physical perspective for manufacturers than it is for a typical office environment. So how do, you, how do you and your company personally mitigate those risks? So do you, I mean, is that part of your risk assessment or assessment when you go into a manufacturing company, you're looking at those type of things? We, we do. Um, one of the areas where we really try to interface with any uh, business is we want to we want to understand the key physical risks uh, that they're they're under. Um, a good example in manufacturing environments that often is not really well appreciated is that out on the manufacturing floors, summer in Oklahoma is dry, it's hot, and it's dusty. Mm-hmm. And so, from the standpoint of managing risk, if the business has 20, 30, 75 workstations that are out on a manufacturing floor in the summer in Oklahoma, a lot of times those manufacturing floors, it's not like they're able to air condition an area that's that large. So a lot of times they will go ahead and roll up the exterior doors, which allows dust in, certainly makes it cooler. But uh, if the business is in the habit of actually storing any kind of sensitive data on those workstations, they can die in a heartbeat. So we really uh, discourage the use of, of conventional workstations out on the shop floor. Interesting. Okay. So we have to we have to look at where the business is storing their data. We from a risk perspective, it is much better for the sensitive business data or the important data to be stored uh, on a server in a, a more controlled environment and then use something like thin clients out on the out on the shop floor so that if a if a device were to die it is just swapped out for a replacement device you don't have to worry about recovering any data in right that, in that instance okay no that's good information so uh, some of the manufacturing companies i've been talking to they're they're looking at incorporating um, more technology within their manufacturing facility just mm-hmm. to create more efficiencies and increase increase profit margin um, what are some things that they need to look out for when they're implementing this new technology? Say it's like Internet of Things or it's connecting to the cloud, that sort of thing. Is there anything in particular that they need to be focused on and in, in introducing that type of technology within their information environment or IT environment? Uh, absolutely. Um, in manufacturing, you know, we talk about physical risks as being one type of risk. The other major type of risk is logical risk. So that logical risk has to do with theft of data or um, corruption of data, ransomware attacks, things like that. And one of the uh, interesting aspects of dealing with manufacturers is that they tend to have uh, a much larger quantity of what are called IoT devices or Internet of Things devices in their environments. Now, for users who aren't familiar with IoT devices and what they are, basically they are any type of device that is able to be internet connected uh, so that it can be managed from the internet or so that it can be used from the internet or elsewhere on the network. And um, a couple of examples that listeners would 
uh, recognize would be a Samsung refrigerator. Okay. Or a Nest thermostat. Where it's connecting to the internet, like via Wi-Fi or, or otherwise. Exactly, exactly. And um, in the manufacturing environment, IoT devices show up as sensors or detectors on assembly lines. Lighting control systems that automate the, the turnoff of lights, if there's not a shift that's actually working on the floor, then basically the IoT sensors... They don't, they don't detect any movement or anybody on the floor, and after a certain period of time, they shut off a portion of the, the lighting system. Uh, robotics mm-hmm. is another example of IoT devices. Uh, assembly lines, assembly line cameras, uh, manufacturers who deal with composites may have uh, precision ovens uh, that are used to cure um, other manufacturers who deal with uh, precision grinding and cutting uh, may have IoT devices such as robotics or other types of automation. The problem that we run into with IoT devices is that it is only recently that any of those have begun to have any security integrated in them. Interesting. And so they tend to be deployed without a concern, without an appropriate concern for security. And so the, the problem with IoT devices is that they will come with a default login and password that is available out on the internet. And so, like username, admin, password, one, two, three. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, uh, because they're so easy to deploy. Um, we hear statistics that by the end of this year, over 20 billion devices will have been deployed wow. worldwide. So it is one of the fastest growing components of internet-connected devices that's available out there. Because they're so easy to deploy, they tend to be deployed with inadequate attention being paid to security. Interesting. The default credentials don't end up being changed. They end up being connected to the corporate network, and so uh, when you combine those factors with the fact that most of these devices are not capable of logging, of audit controls, of automated lockout if too many bad attempts are made to, to log into the device, <coughs> then um, you have a real potential problem because the dev- those devices can be used as a jump-off point to for get to the attacks. other devices. Okay, exactly. Interesting. Okay, so they will potentially be used to either corrupt data via ransomware or to steal data, hmm. and without uh, adequate logging, adequate attention being paid, huge security risk. Right. <clears throat> so switching to. Um, switching to data and valuable information, you know, I, you know, I see from a, a manufacturing perspective where they've developed, you know, intellectual property or patented certain technology within their facility, within their products. I mean, are manufacturing companies paying attention to that as far as protecting that data? And um, if not, how can they better protect that information? Um, well, one of the, the key things that we always emphasize 
with our clients is to know what data you have, know where it's stored, know who's accessing it, know how they're accessing it, and um, understand the value of the different types of data that you've got. Because a manufacturer will, of course, like any business, they'll have payroll data. Right. They will have accounting data, but they may also have quite a bit of intellectual property that they have gone to tremendous expense to develop. That is the data that tends to be targeted in manufacturing environments. There is potentially a great deal of value, and many businesses don't appreciate how valuable that data is, and uh, they think that, you know, there's no way that a nation state would want to, to have this data. Well, in many cases that can be true, but the fact is that many nation states are doing everything that they can to take shortcuts for this, for this knowledge because it saves them billions right. of dollars. And so they can be quite unscrupulous as to how they go about acquiring this, this knowledge. So we emphasize to all of our clients to, to know what intellectual property that you've got and uh, let's, let's place a focus on protecting that uh, because one of the key risks, one of the key logical risks right. to manufacturing data is what we would call exfiltration of data where it's, it's not like the great train robbery where it all happens at one time and it's, and it's obvious there's a hole blown in the side right. of the safe. Like you may not even notice it right now. You don't even notice it. Yeah. And so that is one of the, the most difficult risks to defend against is, first of all, knowing where the critical data is, and then secondly, setting up auditing so that you can see how it's being used and you can see somebody attempting to, to get that data pushed off site. It's a very it's a very difficult challenge. So it seems like a practical, like hard hitting tip that people can take advantage of right now is really creating inventory of their data and who's accessing it and when are they accessing it. That's that is correct. Um, knowing where your data is stored, uh, how it's stored, who's accessing it and and applying appropriate controls and auditing so that you at least have uh, a reasonable amount of control over how data is being used right. and, and how people can uh, work with it. Uh, because it, one of the biggest risks in, in businesses is not that a tornado is going to come and wipe out the facility. It's not that a meteor is going to strike. It's that one of their users in accounting accidentally deletes a ton of important right. data that right. the business really can't operate without. Well, is that a disaster in you know the the grand scheme of you know a, a tornado or a hurricane? No, it's it's a user accidentally deleting data. But is it a disaster to that company? You bet it is. Right. So we really encourage our clients to you know to sit down and understand for themselves, are the biggest risks to their data actually a fire or is it user training? Because 
we emphasize that one of the one of the key risks, one of the key logical risks, is the lack of user training. Yeah, human error. Human error is yeah. is enormous, and when we have to do data recoveries, and we do probably, I mean, in a typical year, we'll do seventy five to a hundred uh, at least recoveries of data, wow. varying in scale. Uh, for different organizations that we manage the business continuity for, and um, well over 50% of the time. What we see is that it's either uh, a user accidentally deleted the data or accidentally moved it somewhere that was unintentional. Right. Interesting. <clears throat> let's, um, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about cyber insurance, cyber risk, right? Okay. Um, We've talked a little bit about in, in the past about you know how insurance companies look at IT environments or just the health of a manufacturing company's information environment. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I remember when cyber insurance first came out, it was a very very lengthy process from an application standpoint, and they really were trying to understand the health of their IT security from just mm -hmm. a company perspective, because the insurance companies want to know what risk they're getting on, right? Sure. And what their exposure is as an insurance company. So from your perspective, have you helped companies through that process as far as um, you know, going through the cyber application or getting them ready and prepared for a cyber insurance policy? Yes. Um, every client that we work with where we're responsible for managing their security a byproduct is that we are actually preparing them uh, so that they can be in a position to get a cyber liability policy if that's what they want to do. Right. And uh, one of the things that we emphasize to them is that when they start the application process, there are going to be some hard questions that are asked about the realities on the ground as to what the business is not doing right now today, but what they've been doing over the last 90 days or last 180 days um, to secure uh, their information. And when you look at those applications, it's interesting, but the, the very first questions uh, don't deal with uh, how do you plan to recover your data if there's a loss. The very first questions are almost always having to do with your written policies. Policies and procedures, yeah. Policies and procedures. So do you have in place a written information technology security policy? Do you have an acceptable use policy that all of your users have signed? Because the, the insurance underwriters want to make sure that uh, security is not just you know something that came up today, right, right now. They want to make sure that there yeah. is a security culture Exactly. Because nobody is going to spend the money for a cyber liability policy unless they've got something that they feel they need to protect. Right. And it's so interesting you say that because the more I talk to underwriters specifically on this topic, it's it's not so much about the factual data of their security. And it is. I mean, it, that's part of the application. But they're really trying to understand the philosophy and mindset that a business owner or company has to the to the culture of the company because if that if that mindset is correct and in place it really sets the foundation for everything else to be built upon right it really does um, security is is never a one-time thing right 
it's not something that, that there, there is no silver bullet, there's no magic widget, there is no, um, you know, there is no secret uh, thing that any consulting company can come in and put in place and say, yeah, now you're secure. Yeah. Security doesn't Guaranteed. work that way. <laughs> Security just doesn't work that way. It has never worked that way. Uh, basically, uh, anybody who comes in to manage security wants to evaluate the, the current and ongoing risks to data. They want to then work with the management team to prioritize what are those key risks. What can, what can put you out of business? Right. Uh, and set some priorities uh, because it's just it's impossible to come in and in two or three days, all of a sudden, you know, we have provided a magic bullet and your problems are solved and now you can sleep soundly. It just security has never worked that way. It right. is if if they're secure right now, uh, okay, now there's you know this this issue. Threats are always evolving, and these threat actors study us just like we study them. Right. So it's it's almost like if you make a positive change within security, what is that indirect uh, change going to happen, or like what is what is the change because of that going to happen? As far as you know, there's another indirect thing that happens from that. There's yes, there's always a, a security is a it's a systems right. approach, and so any change that's made, there's always some knock-on effects. So Part of the challenge is understanding what those knock-on effects are, are likely to be, but making sure that the most damaging risks are attended to mm-hmm. properly, um, because some some attacks can go on commonly for potentially for days, weeks, months, even years. And if the, the appropriate security systems and auditing are not in place, the attackers, they, you know, they don't want to make a big splash. They want to get in, grab the data over time, and then they want to get out, and they want to wipe away any evidence that they were even in there. The most successful attacks are not obvious for months or years, right. if ever. Uh, so that, uh, that is a huge, a huge area of concern. So what are some common mistakes manufacturing companies are making that you're seeing from an IT perspective that they can look out for in their own, in their own business? Uh, key mistakes that we see manufacturers specifically make is, uh, number one is, uh, is number, is, uh, they really need to have policies in place that deal with security, that make it obvious that if they have data that they need to secure, that they are doing what they can to instill a security culture. Secondly, they need to uh, do user training so that the users understand the factors that they can control in helping to secure the environment. Um, And then third, the business needs to understand very well where their sensitive or critical data is, how it's stored, who's accessing it. Um, And one of the things that is a relatively recent development 
that really doesn't get enough attention, especially with manufacturers, is the risks of cloud data. If the manufacturer is not monitoring their IT environment, they won't have any visibility of users who have installed their own copy of Dropbox or other cloud-based storage systems inside the environment. Those cloud-based storage systems afford tremendous convenience, but they're also a potentially tremendous risk because all that it takes for somebody to exfiltrate data is to drag and drop it into their Dropbox right. account, sync it up with their workstation at home, and sell it. That's something that is very, very difficult to pick up on in any type of environment. And so it is, uh, to us, it's, it's really critical that uh, manufacturers be monitoring their IT environment so that they can see and prevent uh, cloud-based storage systems that are not authorized by the business, right. prevent those from ever being installed. Yeah. No, those are, those are really good tips. Appreciate that. Um, let's say it's like a, a company comes to you, right? A manufacturing company. And they're like, Lane, th you know, this is great. I understand. Like, I get it, right? This is important. But we've been doing the same thing for like 30 years, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, nothing's really happened to us. We don't really see the importance of it. I mean, how do they first implement these like policies and procedures? I mean, should they like assign one person to kind of be in charge of this, uh, like overall safety culture from an information or security standpoint? Or um, what are some like practical ways that a manufacturing company can imp start implementing some of these policies and procedures? Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, well, the, the key thing is we always start with templated policies and procedures okay. and we we can provide those to our client and we and we work through the process with the management team of tweaking those so that they address the uh, the current environment and the current risk situation fact is policies are never perfect and we have seen more than one case where we helped to develop policies and two years later they've never been executed or implemented by the management team because they're waiting for their attorney right. to read it. You know, th this isn't just a legal question. It's a, it's a security question. It's just not that, it's not, it's not that tough. And so realistically, they should be able to get these uh, policies and procedures written and executed probably within three months or so. Okay. <clears throat> because again, because the policies and procedures are never perfect, we have to address the most serious risks first. And so let's get the, the best version implemented that we can and then start jumping into the actual technology, the actual procedures of securing the environment. But if those, if those policies and procedures are never implemented, you're, you're dead before you start. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> How do you... So how do you go in and calculate, like, I know a lot of this is like preventative measures, right? And it's hard to calculate the return on investment of updating technology and putting these policies and procedures and the energy it takes to get that done, right? Mm -hmm. um, is there a way that you and your company illustrate that or communicate that to your clients when implementing, when implementing these 
policies and procedures? Yes, part of the process. Uh, in fact, one of the first things that we do with any client who is wanting for us to help manage their security is we sit down with their profit and loss okay. sheets. So you're sitting down with their financial statements. Yeah, I mean, like- we, do, we do a confidentiality agreement you know, uh, so, that, so that both parties are protected. And we go through monthly or quarterly P&L statements so that, and, and it's not important that, that we see the financial data, but what we do is we work with the management team to coach them and look for those line items in revenue and under expense that, that help to illustrate where is most of their net income coming from. Right. Because that's where you really want to focus your, your efforts. And then when you look at the, the inventory of the data that they've got, what it is, where it is, that's the second aspect of this is, is identifying the location of the key risks. Once we have a better feel for that, then we can recommend priorities on how to go through and secure data. But if you don't have that financial picture and you don't have that data risk picture, it's, I mean, you're just, you're, you're throwing things at the, uh, at the wall, uh, hoping that something's going to stick. And that's not the way that we work. Yeah. That's not a very strategic approach. (laughs) No, not, not at all. And it doesn't, it doesn't help the client because it doesn't do anything to address their risk. Again, security is not a technology problem. It's a business problem. Right. It's a business risk problem. So that's the way that we approach it. And that's And I feel like that from that approach, it's you're really trying to identify how to best utilize their resources and invest in certain areas to protect their balance sheet from an IT yeah. perspective. Yeah, the the whole thing with defending against risk is is understanding where the cash flow is coming from. Right. Understand because if you understand that, then that gives you a much better feel for the type of data that you need to protect. Right. And um, if you if you start out from there, then you're not starting out with the silver bullet approach. Well, if you adopt this system or that system or this antivirus or this or we did this for another business. manufacturing company. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's uh, it it really. Uh, speeds up the process quite a bit when you start from the cash flow perspective and then the data risk perspective right. to be able to prioritize things because um, most businesses are not going to be able to address all of the risks all at one time. So start with the, the biggest risks to the organization and work from there. You, you end up developing a prioritized list and uh, once you have secured those most important data sets, a lot of the time that is also acting to secure the less business critical data. Right. No, yeah, that, that makes logical sense. So it's interesting to see how our two worlds collide just from a risk management or insurance perspective and then IT perspective. I think, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of it is, is about balance sheet protection and, and it's interesting to see those two things integrate and work together. So how can uh, businesses best connect with you, uh, Lane, and, and your business and, and services? Uh, businesses can uh, email me okay. at lane, L-A-N-E, dot griffing at 
dvits.net. Okay. Or they can call me at 405-822-7912. That's great. Well, I, I really do appreciate your timeline and, and the valuable information that you brought. And uh, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. All right. Take care. Thank you.